Welcome to CoinGeek Conversations. My guest this week knows more than almost anyone about both the past and the future of Bitcoin. He's the head of TAL, a cutting edge blockchain infrastructure business. And looking backwards, he has a close and intriguing early relationship with Dr. Craig Wright, the inventor of Bitcoin. So I'd like to welcome Stefan Matthews. Hi, Stefan. Hi, Charles. How are you? I certainly know a lot about the past. Um, I, I'm not so sure whether I know as, as much about the future as anyone, but we'll, <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll see what my predictive skills are like. You're listening to CoinGeek Conversations with Charles Miller. I can't start an interview now without asking what's your off-the-cuff reaction to the verdict in the climate right case in Miami? I was uh, pleasantly uh, surprised, I guess. To be honest, I was expecting um, uh, the result to be a mistrial. And uh, then all of a sudden, it was uh, a verdict. And like everybody else, I, I hung on what that verdict was. And as, uh, as I read through you know, one thing after another. I mean, the, the, the jury ruled on seven counts. Um, there are a lot of sub-issues within those, but seven main counts. And, you know, for Craig to have that 6-1 uh, victory was, uh, I, I think, one, an outstanding result. But secondly, from my experience and, and, and you know, my, my first-hand knowledge of a lot of things, um, the right outcome. I think a lot of people would agree with that, but there was the small matter of $100 million <laughs> that has to be produced. I noticed that Craig's attorney has described that as a symbolic amount, which I think for, for most people shows that he's in some sort of strange bubble. But yeah, $100 million is, is not an insignificant amount of money. Uh, on, on its own, on face value, it's certainly uh, a very sizable amount. But in the context of this case, you know, it's, it's you could refer to it as petty cash. But if you look at that, what, what the jury actually decided there, that issue was one around conversion. And it was around uh, the, um, the software or the intellectual property that after Dave's death, that was transferred, as I understand it, from W&K uh, Information Defence to one of the companies in Australia. And it was fascinating that the jury had an option of awarding a ruling in favour of conversion either directly to the climate estate or to the company, W&K, and they specifically chose not to award anything to the climate estate, but to award it to the company. And there is no punitive damages. And, I thought, and that was, in my mind, that was uh, incredibly important. But the rest of it, you know, we, we hear and we've heard for so long now about Craig being a fraud, about Craig producing manipulated documents, about, about Craig misleading. Um, the jury dealt with all those issues and mountains of evidence that was uh, produced in court over a uh, three or four week period. And their decision was, um, no, he's not a fraud. No, he didn't manipulate documents. However, you know, if with the, the detailed reading that I've done, there are some questionable activities and there are some questionable characters that I think uh, uh, maybe it's not worth it anymore, but um, 
should be looked at more carefully. I mean, what role did Jamie, Jamie um, Wilson have in Australia? And this IP address, which is 10 minutes from his house, that was where a lot of these questionable documents uh, arose from. From the legal profession's point of view, Craig is, is the gift that keeps on giving, basically. And this is <laughs> not going to be the last we hear of, uh, of Craig in court or these issues being discussed. I'm wondering, are you going to participate? You've got so much interesting early evidence. Are you going to be appearing in court for Craig at all? I think the answer to that, uh, Charles, is, uh, is yes. Um, there, there are some matters where I have given uh, witness statements, uh, some, of the, some of the matters that uh, are running in the UK. I am going to be um, uh, called as a witness in, in, a, in another case in Q1. So uh, yeah, I think the answer is yeah. Well, we'll look forward to hearing hearing your story through that medium. Um, but let's turn to Tal now, because you are stepping down as CEO in January. I was looking at the Tal results. They are actually spectacular. You've doubled the revenue between Q2 and Q3 from $6 million to $12 million. Um, how did that happen? It sounds like everything's going very well at Tal. Things are going very well at Tal. I stepped into the CEO role in around about September, October last year. And I did that. I, I had a long discussion with the board at that time, and I was feeling not entirely comfortable with uh, the, the, the direction, the operational direction with the company on a day-to-day basis. So uh, after a long discussion, I, I offered to step into the CEO role. And when I did that, I gave my commitment to the board that I would stay in that role until the end of 2022. When I moved from chairman to CEO and executive chairman, obviously I lost my independence. So I was previously sitting on the board as an independent director. So we went out and we, uh, we uh, bought two additional independent directors uh, onto the tail board because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very um, strongly interested in, uh, in governance and, and we need an, an independent board, uh, majority independent board to be able to exercise that, that governance ethic that I have. And one of the people that I reached out to um, was Richard Baker. Just for people who don't know, uh, Richard is an entrepreneur based in the UK in Cambridge, and he's been working um, in uh, the world of BSV with his own startup. Yeah, and and not only that, I mean Richard. Uh, Richard has, I mean, if anyone's interested, go and have a look at his uh, LinkedIn profile, and you'll see his full history. He's a uh, he's a guy with a tremendous amount of uh, experience in uh, technology. And uh, I met him in London and I said, mate, uh, I'm thinking about my succession plan and uh, would you be open to having a discussion with me about succeeding me in the, in the CEO role? And he said, I would uh, I'd be very keen to have that discussion. So, you know, one of his conditions, if you like, was that he wanted me to work closely with him uh, throughout 2022. And, and I said, coincidentally, um, that 
fits perfectly into my thinking as well, because I did make the original commitment to the board to, to stay actively involved in the business until the end of next year. And um, uh, that's, that's exactly what's going to happen. Um, Richard has been working more and more closely with me on a day-to-day basis, and he will formally take the reins of the CEO role on January 1. I will remain as executive chairman, so I will continue to have an executive role in the business, supporting Richard, uh, particularly around areas uh, related to mining and transaction processing. One of the things that I got out of looking at the recent report also was that um, transaction fees at the moment are about 3% of revenue. You've got a long way to go to replace the block reward income, haven't you? Because the next block halvening is uh, in 2024, I think. Yeah, during Q2, there was a period in Q2 where um, transaction fees was was as high as 5% uh, of of the revenue being earned through through mining. Um, Yes, in Q3, it was um, just over 3%. My personal view, um, so we're going into personal view territory now. This is not a tail <laughs> view. <laughs> um, my personal view is that, yes, we got a halving in 2024. The halving beyond that is the critical point um, before which this industry needs to go through that inflection point. But that's said with every halving, isn't it? Every time we get a halving coming up, it's always go, we've got to really rush now to get transaction fees up because look what's going to happen now. Well, if you, if you go back, Charles, to the discussions that we had around the, um, the split that saw um, uh, BSV and BCH go their own ways, um, a lot of the discussion, and I was involved in a number of, number of these meetings, was... was a lack of understanding on the BCH side about the importance of transaction fees in the future. And um, when you talk about the volume of transaction activity that's required to provide a, um, a material, sustainable revenue income from, tra- from managing and handling transactions, you need to have a hell of a lot of them. And to have a hell of a lot of them, you need large blocks. And to have large blocks filled, you need to have uh, a significant amount of business activity on the network. Right. So there's a lot of there's a lot of components that uh, that need to come together, have come together in a demonstrable way. But uh, over the next two to six years, um, uh, need to continue that progression. I mean, things happen very quickly in this uh, in this industry. We went from smaller blocks to half meg blocks to one one half gig blocks to one gig blocks, and then bingo, we're at two gig blocks, and that that happened far quicker than anybody uh, uh, anticipated, including myself. And uh, I have no doubt. I mean, the number of calls I get, uh, the number of messages I receive from participants in the industry. Uh, the amount of development activity that's going on and some of the projections that these organisations have around their transactional activity on the network is massive. Right. And, and it'll need to be. And it will need to be. But, you know, that's what Craig has been saying all along. You know, we've got a technology and a platform with BSV that as it scales – 
and it does scale, as we know. You, you mentioned our revenue performance in Q3. In Q3, Tile processed through its, uh, through its API, um, and that API handles transactions coming directly to us by clients who have got contracts with us to, to manage their transactions and data. We processed over 52 million transactions in Q3. And we've got a client who works very closely with us, and we work extremely closely with them in crypto fights. And, you know, I, I, I've seen them process, you know, 2 million transactions a day. Uh, at times, and I and I know what their plans are for Q1, and I know what their uh, load testing plans are for Q2, and uh, two billion transactions a day is lightweight compared to the numbers that that they're uh, they're they're planning for. It's a bit of a, a complicated business problem, isn't it? Because you want the transactions to be very very cheap, which they are, but then of course that increases the number that you require in order to achieve profitability. So it, it's sort of pile them high, sell them cheap, really. Well, we've got to look a little broader than this. Um, and I've spoken a few times about it. Tile's future is not just around uh, solving hash puzzles and, and uh, forming a block for the block reward, whatever that might be at any given point in time in the future. And it's not just about the number of transactions and the fees from those transactions that are in the blocks. There are a lot of other things we do in terms of providing business services and um, blockchain as a service. We have uh, multiple APIs. We, 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 we build customized nodes to suit specific business applications that our clients are working with. And it's, we're going to be deriving a significant amount of revenue down the track from activities that are not just what you see in terms of um, packing transactions out of mempool into a block. And I think that's really important. I mean, um, I'll, I'll use another example, uh, the STAS token technology. That is an incredibly powerful uh, component of the tools that we provide to third parties. And I said right at the very beginning, I predicted right at the very beginning that that was going to be an incredibly valuable piece of technology, not just to Tile, but to the, to the, to the community, the industry. Uh, I said the same thing about what's on chain when we, uh, when we acquired what's on chain. And we've seen their APIs processing transaction numbers of between 72 and 90 million transactions per month or API calls per month. And what's their business model? Well, at the moment, you know, we haven't commercialized uh, those opportunities. We, we, we're using the capabilities as, a, as an onboarding service to enable businesses to engage with the blockchain and to test their uh, proof of concepts and so on and so forth. But, uh, you know, down the track, um, I think the revenue generation through What's on chain isn't a one-trick pony as well. It's got a number of um, components to it, and it's got a roadmap, a development roadmap, and that's been one of the uh, challenges that Tile has had is, is um, bringing on board quickly enough, um, enough skilled, experienced uh, blockchain developers, um, and that was a challenge for us in Q1 of this year 
it's it's still a challenge for us as we look look ahead for 2022 but it's not as it's not as critical challenge as it was earlier this year and our revenues have been um, growing you've already indicated that I mean we've seen additional mining mining hash come onto the network during the trial and immediately following the trial and I you know uh, I, I kind of uh, felt that you know given the names involved they were getting their kit ready to mine BSV if there was an appreciation in price because let's face it, there is a direct relationship between hash on the network and the price of the token. And, uh, you know, a number of people have suggested to me over the years that we need to put more hash on the network because that will drive the price up. Well, it doesn't work like that. Uh, The price determines the hash rather than the hash determining the price, I would have thought. That's exactly how it works. And, And we see it on all the SHA-256 networks. You know, if the, if the price goes up 10%, you, you'll see you'll see additional hash come onto the network. If the price drops 10%, you'll see hash exit the network. Um, that's that's just the the dynamic. From the point of view of Tal, if Tal is concentrating on mining BSV, you don't really want more hash on the network, do you? Because it makes life more difficult to win blocks. I think it's healthy for the network, Charles. Um, if there is more hash. And there are more nodes, but in the short term, yeah, it's a it, it, that's a difficult one. I mean, I don't um, I don't want to see Tal. L- let me put it this way: I, I'd I'd rather I'd rather Tal have a meaningful percentage of uh, a, a much larger network pie than um, a massive percentage of a of a small pie, because. Mining is mining was designed uh, uh, by Craig initially as a as a competitive process. It needs to be a competitive process. Miners need to compete with each other to be able to fulfil the requirements that clients might have to be able to, as we have, enter into contracts with clients um, uh, around you know different fee structures. We're we're ahead of the game on that, but you know, in two or three years' time, four years' time, that that'll become more commonplace. The miners that predominantly the miners that aren't tall on the network um, haven't really structured their businesses the way we have, and that was that was what I wanted to do um, twelve months ago was to ensure that um, we put ourselves in a futuristic position before we needed to be there so that we could work constructively with third parties to support them and they would become um, exclusive um, customers, clients of ours, and we would grow with them into this whole transaction economy over the next, uh, you know, whether it's two years, whether it's four years, whether it's six years, but we'll definitely be there within six years. This is really looking backwards, but what you're describing in the diversification of Tal sort of has echoes to me of IBM that uh, started off by selling machinery and sort of then used that uh, to get into all sorts of other businesses, including consulting and stuff like that. Is that sort of the way that you're thinking that you can build an ecosystem that started with mining? Well, yes, it did start with mining. Uh, And of course, when I first entered the mining arena in 2016, um, that's all it was. It was, you know, racks of hardware 
and you just ran, ran the hardware and mined blocks and took the block reward. So the industry has come a long way since 2016, but for all the gains that we've made in that five-year period, I think what we're going to see over the next five years is going to eclipse that by, by multiples, to be honest. Stefan, wishing you the best of uh, luck with not being CEO of Tal in 2010-2022. And I'm sure Tal will go on because you are going to be closely involved. But uh, thank you very much for telling me about all that. Thank you, Charles. It's been a pleasure. Many thanks to Stefan Matthews. And the best of luck to Richard Baker, who's stepping into Stefan's CEO shoes at Tal. Well, in fact, that wasn't the end of my conversation with Stefan. We went on to talk about his early encounters with Dr. Craig Wright and his part in the deal that brought Craig to the UK and his current role at Enchain. That will be our first show in January, because next week we bring you our traditional Christmas special. My guests will be Diddy Weldon and Ruth Heesman, the founders of Women of BSV, together with my reporter colleague, Claire Seldron, joining us from Manila. We'll be picking some favourite clips of the year and generally getting into the holiday mood. So please join us next week for the final CoinGeek conversation of 2021. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>